When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Don Amaro, and this is Through the Fire, a podcast about overcoming adversity, reframing misfortune, and celebrating courage. On this show, you're going to meet some really incredible people who have been through some heavy stuff, but they've come through the other side, and the hope is that you're encouraged and inspired by the words that you hear. So ladies and gentlemen, today I have a wonderful guest, uh, a, a, somebody who I've had a chance to co-write with, who's uh, become a good pal of mine in the industry. Uh, Megan Patrick is somebody who has many awards to her name, uh, has done an incredible job up here in the Canadian country music scene, and is living in Nashville, Tennessee, married to Mitchell Tenpenny, uh, and is doing so many great things for music. So I want to welcome Megan Patrick. How you doing, Meg? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Life is busy. I think that should be my next album title. Life is busy. Um, yep. You know, you know me. I got three kids, so it's like uh, never a dull day. But uh, I mean, my I think my life is busy, and then I think about you, and I'm like, you ain't that busy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have other humans you're responsible for. <laughs> Let's start off there. Is that something on the horizon, you think? Is that something down the road? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Mitchell Mitchell, and I definitely want kids for sure. You know, it's, it's one of those things where obviously you are well-versed in understanding the struggle of doing what we do and being on the road and trying to figure out how that fits with a family. So, yeah, it's definitely something that we want and we've talked about. Um, right now, I think we're both like very focused on, on work. And, and for me that, you know, the last couple of years have been a bit of a struggle and I feel like I'm finally getting some motion forward right now. And so we've talked and we're like, you know, let's, let's give it a year, try and, you know, do what I can do and then we'll see what happens. But I honestly, I, I truly just believe that I think, you know, God's going to give us a baby when we're, when we're meant to have one and, uh, it's going to be wonderful. For now, we're just the cool aunt and uncles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a, a really healthy train of thought because, um, you know, you're newly married. I mean, you guys have been together for a while, but yeah. uh, newly married. And uh, and I think those things, like you say, they take time and they, they happen in their own time. You know, I'll be honest, and I, I think I might have shared this on the show before, but uh, every one of my children were not planned. They were happy accidents. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we're, we're so glad that each one of them are here. But um, yeah. I think when you when you go with that approach, it's like, and you just allow yourself to be uh, pleasantly surprised by life sometimes. Mm-hmm. Although I think you know yeah. you can also make make plans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's definitely. I'm I'm very grateful for my husband. You know, because he I think is really acutely aware of like what it means for me and my career and and how it's obviously going to affect my career a lot more than than his. Especially that first year, you know, in that first year when I'm pregnant and my body's changing because, you know, I'm I'm sitting here hoping that, you know, I can still work, you know, as much as I can and, and still be on the road. But I don't know, like, what if I'm like sick constantly? What if there are complications? You know, there are all these things that that could happen. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, like, 
I think it's been one of the biggest sources of anxiety and something I've struggled with a lot with this career mm. is always feeling like I would have to eventually choose. Um, and, but right. I think that I will say this though. I think that the, the whole narrative and everything around that, especially like in country music and the music industry in general, I think it's starting to change a lot. And I mean, you, you're seeing, you know, like Maren Morris was nine months pregnant playing the Houston rodeo. And, you know, I've, I've seen more and more mm -hmm. female artists be pregnant and continue to work and, and do the thing. And, and, and people, it seems like the industry is being a little bit more like accepting and welcoming to that. So But I mean, hey, if there's nothing mm -hmm. I love more than a challenge. So, you know, I'm like, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but I'm grateful to have a husband who understands, you know, he's like, hey, we're a team. I'm going to help you. I'm not expecting you to just give up on your dreams so we can have a baby. So we'll see what mm. happens. But I, you know, right, I think right. it starts with having a great foundation in the relationship, which we have. So, well, it's interesting you mentioned this because you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time, like the social structures, which we were raised upon in, in sort of North America here, this Western civilization thought of like the mom stays home, the dad's the breadwinner and, breadwinner, and like, yeah. that's sort of an antiquated thought. And, and we're really trying to like, we really want to raise our kids to say that this is a balanced place where both parents mm -hmm. are heavily invested in their lives yeah. and in, in the home life. And, um, yeah. and that's something that we've really been conscious of. And I think that for mm -hmm. you two to already have that, that mindset, I think that's, that's healthy. And I, like you say, I think that's the way I think our, hopefully our society is continuing to grow towards yeah. that, that, that balance. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. What season are you in right now? I know we're about to go into the summer season, but I see you online with, you got the guns out, uh, and I, cause I know you're an avid hunter. Well, you know, it is turkey season right now, which is one of my favorite hunting seasons, but I have to be honest, I've, I've only been out a handful mm. of times cause I've just been on the road and I've been really busy, which I'm not complaining about because I, that's what I've prayed for and asked for for the last couple of years was to be working and busy again. So Um, yeah, the, mm -hmm. the hunting and outdoor stuff is taking a little bit of a backseat right now, but you know, I have plenty of time to do that. <laughs> I'm guessing Mitchell's big into it too. Um, you know, it's funny. I think like people just assume because he's a dude that he is like more into it. I, I am definitely the more avid, uh, outdoors person. I mean, he, he grew up with it, you know, and he, he does like to hunt, but he's more of a, Yeah. You know, if I have time, I might go out. Whereas I'm like, I'm making time and I'm like, I'm pretty hardcore about it. There's been a few times where Mitchell was supposed to come hunting with me and slept in and I went by myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, kudos to you on that. I think it's, it's actually also really cool to see. I think, I think it's sort of has another, you know, social construct, a male dominated area. So I think it's really mm -hmm. cool to see you there and being an, um, uh, an advocate for, for women kind of also being in that role. And, uh, I think that's Definitely. super cool. Uh, busy yeah. summer ahead. Yes. Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, you know, I think we've got a good mix of some shows in the U S some shows in Canada. We're hitting some markets. We didn't, we didn't hit last year a lot of like secondary markets, which as fun as some of the really big festivals are, I really love some of the smaller secondary markets because I feel like the fans are just so excited that something mm -hmm. is happening. You know, a lot of times they're in smaller towns or like more rural areas where they don't get as much like entertainment. So I always feel like the energy in those audiences is like next level. So I'm right. really excited about that. And also already working and thinking towards the next project we're going to put out. Um, 
just been writing a bunch and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already ready to get out new music. You know how it is. It's mm. like, by the time you actually release a project, you've already been living with it for, yeah. for a while and you're, you're already ready to like get on to the next thing. So I was mentioning that to somebody this week, like almost every time I put an album out, I'm already onto the next thing. And somebody said, well, that's probably a good thing, right? Cause if you like put a project out and you got nothing else to kind of work towards, like, like a painter, I always, I always use the analogy of painters when I think about music, you hopefully have more inspiration to kind of do the next thing. Cause once the project's done, you got to have somewhere yeah. to go. And, um, I sometimes wish that I could settle more and just be like, okay, this is here and enjoy this. But my mind's already like two or three steps ahead and I'm, and I'm always yeah. battling that. But speaking of your last project, Greatest Show on Dirt, that is an, a fantastic album. It's so great. Thank Honestly, you. Honestly, in my Thank opinion, you. you've got some great stuff and you, you've been well awarded for, but this to me is, is like the, the best thing you've ever put out. It's such a great album. Thank yeah, you. Well done. Thank you so much. Well, I'm, I'm very proud of this record. This EP is just a piece of something even bigger that we're working towards um, for later in the year. And so some of these songs are a few years old. Like some of them I've, I've been kind of sitting on for a while and then a couple of them. So like the title track, Greatest Show on Dirt, I actually started it on a writer's retreat and we like went in and finished it like three days before I was going into the studio. And I told, uh, so Jake Mitchell, he was doing the, the track on that, that song. And I told Jake, I was like, Hey, I really want to, do you think you can turn this around pretty quick? I want to get it to the label before we finalize what songs we're going to go in and cut. And it was like, I sent it in and it was like unanimous. Like everyone's like, okay, yes, we're cutting this. Like, absolutely. But yeah, I think like, I feel like in the past, I think I've always definitely tried to be really like authentic and, and real and in the storytelling aspect of my songs. But I feel like I also was often writing about just like things that happened to me or things that happened around me or to other people around me. And I think you'll see like some of the, the new songs that are yet to come out and that have come out. Like, for example, She's No Good For Me. It's a lot more introspective more about what's going on inside of me as opposed to like around me and to me. And a lot of that I think stems from just during the pandemic. I mean, it was rough. <laughs> I I mean, it was rough for everybody, obviously, but I think I, it was, it also came at a time where I was already kind of struggling with where I was at in my career and feeling kind of like stuck in a rut and feeling ki kind of stifled and, and a little bit um, held back creatively. And, you know, there, there was a lot going on within my team and everything at the time. There were a lot of changes, you know, I parted ways with, with Warner, um, at the end of last year. And so they were kind of trying to figure out where, where they stood on things. And I was trying to figure myself out and I felt like I was evolving and growing in a way that just didn't align, um, you know, with what they were doing. And so, I, but I'm, I'm very grateful to Warner because, you know, they started my career. They were my first champions. We did so many incredible things together that, you know, I, that I can be proud of for a long time. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for us being able to say, hey, you know what? This has been great, but I think it's run its course. So during that time, though, I mean, when I was feeling stuck, I wasn't really able to put out music. I just did a lot of um, self-reflecting and, and, and kind of turning inwards and trying to be a little more introspective and figure out, OK, like, who am I as a person? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of artist do I want to be? What do I want my music to sound like? What do I want it to say? How do I, you know, move into this next chapter and continue to make something that is fresh, but still what my fans want to hear? 
So, you know, She's No Good For Me kind of felt like the catalyst for this whole new chapter of music because it really felt like a breakthrough for me um, in terms of writing and in terms of like digging a little bit deeper and, you know, looking at myself. And because I've written lots of songs about, you know, guys that have done me wrong and broken my heart. But I was like, damn, if I haven't been the one to be the hardest on myself at times, mm, you know, and, yeah. and just picking up just just some toxic habits and whether it was drinking too much or drinking, you know, for the wrong reasons and, and going out, staying out too late, hanging around the wrong people you know, staying in toxic relationships with guys that were just, just not right for me, you know, and falling into these habits and like just waking up in the morning where you just kind of look at yourself like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, mm. and you're just, you're, you're miserable. And, and I kind of went through that and, and got to a place where it's like, I think the first step of like moving forward and healing and, and adjusting is, is just accepting that you have faults and that there are parts of you and, and your behavior that need to be addressed. And, and also giving yourself a little bit of grace, too, and understanding that, like, progress and healing and everything, it's not always linear. You know, there there are going to be times where you make some great progress and then maybe you take a step back every once in a while or you slip up and that's OK. Like, you have to give yourself grace in those moments. And so that was kind of what that song was about. And I, and I think it just opened the door for me to feel I think I, the best thing I can say is like freedom, you know, creative freedom um, and freedom, like feeling truly free and confident to really be myself in a way that I haven't before. And not because I was ever being inauthentic. I just didn't have the tools yet. I didn't, I, I hadn't done the work. I've been in therapy for two years and I've learned a lot about myself and why I'm the way I am, why the negative parts of me are like that and why I do these things and how I can fix these behaviors and, and get to like, what's at the root of the issue. So I've been doing a lot of work, not just musically, but just on myself. And I think that that has been a catalyst for just making better music in the end. Meg, honestly, everything you just said was so inspiring. I love that. And I think I could use that for so many conversations because I feel like oftentimes not a lot of people take the moment to look at themselves and go, in this problem, what am I yeah. uh, adding to it and how can right. I address it? And that's, yep. that song, She's No Good For Me, brilliant and i also when i heard it i was like this song is going to mean so much to so many people who need to take those moments and go wait a second what am i doing in this problem that's adding to it and causing this this fire to build you know and uh, mm -hmm. i so appreciate that as a friend and as a fan of you because it feels like you're revealing so much more of yourself thank you have you ever thought i'd love to have a podcast just like this one well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Um, I think it's a good representation. It's just sort of the tip of the iceberg to me um, in terms of like what's to come musically. And, and also just like, I think another aspect of that too was recognizing, you know, so, okay. So when I signed my deal with Warner, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, I grew up and all I listened to was country and I've been country country. I mean, I grew up in a rural area and I was definitely around country music, but it really wasn't 
like the main genre that I listened to growing up for the most part. It actually Mm -hmm. came into my life like later in life. But when I came out with my first record, because it was a much more like kind of traditional country sound. And I think because at the time, a lot of what was at radio um, in Canada was, was not that more traditional sound. It was moving in a more kind of pop country thing. And I was trying to move the other way. I think it was like refreshing to a lot of fans that were craving that. And so it was like, I kind of immediately got branded and pigeonholed into that. And then I felt like I had to continue to live Mm. up to this idea and this brand of me that was not untrue or inauthentic. It was just only one piece of who I was Right. because I had all these, I mean, you can look at my records on the wall back here. These are, these are all some of my biggest like inspiration records. And I mean, it spans all genres. I've played in bluegrass bands. I've played in a 10 piece, like tower of power style funk band. You know, I've studied (laughs) jazz. I've, I love rock music. I love metal. I have all these interests and influences. And I felt like for a long time, I couldn't bring in some of these influences and these things that came very naturally to me because I was worried it didn't fit this this brand mm. that had been sort of created for me almost. I mean, the thing is, is like they say, like when you're rock bottom, like you can only go up. Right. And it kind of felt like that for me. It got to a point where, you know, pandemic happened. I felt like everything got taken away from me and I went into like survival panic mode of just trying to like salvage my career and like save my career. And so I started chasing what everyone else thought I needed to do to salvage this career and to keep things going. And it's just never good to do that. The only thing you should be chasing is yourself and your own authenticity. And and I got caught up. I was like, you know, the label's like, well, we need this kind of song. We need this kind of song. And so I'd go in and I'd write it. And half the time I would hate it. And then I would give it to them and I'd be like, all right, so here's exactly what you asked for. And then nothing would happen and nothing would happen. And I got so frustrated. And then I finally got to a point where I'm like, well, they don't give a shit about these songs. I don't really give a shit about these songs. I'm just going to go and write what I want because at least then I can go to bed at night and wake up in the morning and look myself in the face in the mirror and be proud of what I did, whether or not it does something at radio or you know whether or not the label gets it or not. And like I, I remember specifically the song that came from that was Who Would I Be? Beautiful song. Thank you. I went into the writing room that day and I'd already written a lot of these lyrics. I already had this concept of like, how do I how do I write a love song where you're basically asking the person, what do I mean to you? Like, how serious is this to you? Like, how invested are you in to me? Is this just, you know, a fling or is this a forever, you know? And I, and so I started framing, I was framing it. I was like, okay, you know, if you were, if I was in a movie, like, how would you cast me? If I, if you were writing a song about me, what would it sound like? And mm. I thought it was kind of maybe a weird concept, but I was like, I went in, I was like, you know what? I don't care. I want to write this song today. And my co-writers, Jason and Chris, I was like, if you guys want to write this song, they're like, I think it's cool. And so I wrote it just, you know, for myself. And, and in the end, I, I think it's some of my, my best writing. And it's been kind of, a, I think, a little bit of a dark horse on that record because it was never like a focus track or anything. But a lot of people seem to really resonate with it. So that was very encouraging. My favorite on the EP. Really? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a sentimental sort of finger picking, you know, kind of guy yep. anyway. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, so love I, I, lo- I yes. loved it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I love all this, Meg. Like, honestly, you're, I love the heart on my sleeve approach that you ha- have. Is that part of what the year of MFP is all about? 
<laughs> yes. Tell us what MFP is. You can go ahead and tell us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm pretty sure it was actually at Boots and Hearts last year. Um, I was playing on the main stage and I was kind of nervous for a lot of shows last year because I felt like I'd been kind of off the grid for a little while. I hadn't had any success at radio. I hadn't been able to tour in Canada. And I was just like terrified that people just forgot about me and didn't care about me anymore. <laughs> and, and I was so pleasantly surprised by the fans at so many shows we played last year where they just really showed up for me. And I also noticed that there was, you know, there was a, okay. I'm like, there's a lot of people that I don't know here too. These there's people that are new, but I can tell that they're like, they're engaged in this show. And I, I said, I was like, you know, for those of you who don't know me, you're probably wondering who the fuck is Megan Patrick. And I was like, well, I'm Megan fucking Patrick. <laughs> and everybody really <laughs> liked that. They started screaming and cheering. Um, and, you know, it just kind of like stuck and then fans started like hashtag MFP and it was, it became a thing. And me and my management team, like would it be like team MFP, you know? And it was just, it was like, I kind of just started trying to embody what that meant, which I think what it really means is, is like, is just confidence in yourself, boldness, um, and like resilience and someone who is just unapologetically themselves and truly comfortable in their own skin. And this year really has felt like a rebirth for me. Mm. I actually, so I, I'm start just started on this tattoo. It's a Phoenix. Oh, cool. And cause I was like, I need to get something to commemorate like this moment in my life because it, it really feels like my life has changed so drastically in the last like six months and it really did feel like I was like a phoenix rising from the ashes and, and you know, getting this this redemption and coming up more powerful than ever and just on fire. That's like this image I've carried. And, and, and it's the confidence I've carried into this year. Like I've been big on just manifesting. When I decide I want something, I just I just say, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to get this. This is going to happen. And I really want this. And just kind of getting to the point where I'm like, well, why not me? It's going to be somebody. Somebody's going to get the number one song. Somebody's going to do this. Somebody's going to do that. Well, why not me? You know, mm. why not? <laughs> and I right, think when right. you start asking the question of why not me, as opposed to all the reasons why it might not be you, it just, it changes your whole energy and it changes the way that you approach things. And it also, I think that energy just radiates to everyone around you, your team and, and, and your fans and everybody. It's like, it, it creates this magnetism, I think, and it, and it inspires people. And like, honestly, I've realized that one of the things that I really love to do is inspire people. So mm. that's kind of what the MFP thing embodies to me. <laughs> well, as a fan, Meg, honestly, like I've known you for a couple of years and, and I've watched you do your thing and it's always been pretty like, you know, hopefully it doesn't come across as a bad way, but, but you're like a firecracker. Like you go, you go off and you do your thing and it's, and it's pretty big, but I feel like this thing you're into now is next level. Like it really, you've hit this other gear and I'm, and I'm witnessing it from afar and it's super <laughs> cool and it's super inspiring. And you know, like w when you talk, I'm thinking like, man, if more women hear you speak, I hope that they're feeling that like women empowerment, but as a man, I'm feeling it too. Right. Like, I feel like you're, you're basically yeah. saying this is for everybody. Yeah. I feel honored to be welcomed into this, uh, the year of MFP. And, and I think it's not the year, but it's <laughs> the life of MFP, right? Like it's moving forward and it's really yep. quite cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I want to hit pause on the music stuff for a second. Maybe music's yeah. part of it, but what's young 
Meg Patrick like? What was life like growing up? Where are you from, by the way? Where where where, where did you grow up? Um, I'm from Bowmanville, Ontario. It's a small town just uh, east of Toronto, like almost right on the water on Lake Ontario. Um, okay. Although it's funny, like, you know how people on the internet love to like tell people in country that you're not country, <laughs> but right. and people, people be like, Oh, you're from Bowmanville. That's not country. And it's like, it's because it's just really like expanded and grown a lot. But when I was growing up there, it was still very rural. I spent a lot of time outside. I loved being like my, my family, our house backed up onto the woods all the way down to the Creek. And I spent about 98% of my time just out in the woods or riding my bike or down at the Creek. So I definitely always had a love for, for being outdoors. Um, I was a tomboy. I loved sports. I loved trying to show up the boys, you know, I still do. (laughs) That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Um, you know, and, and then the music part of it, I think music is just always been kind of ingrained into my life because my parents, you know, my dad plays some guitar, but he wouldn't, I don't think he would call himself like a, he's, you know, he's never done music as like a career or anything. It's more of a hobby for him, but my parents were just music lovers. And like, you know, growing up, we always had music playing, whether we we're, you know, in the car on the radio or at the house, you know, we never really had the TV on much. It was usually like records playing or music playing. And, um, I would sing and hang out around the house and stuff like that when I was, but when I was like 12, I think I auditioned for a school musical. And that was kind of when I figured out like, Oh, I I can sing like, and this is kind of fun. I like this. And so Mm. I started taking lessons. Um, and I, I studied all the Royal conservatory stuff and like learned theory and, and eventually that was what led me to study opera in college. Oh, no way. Which I hated. Yeah. <laughs> but Probably learned some cool was, things, some cool tricks. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very like, I'm definitely very grateful. Um, I mean, I think it gave me a great foundation in terms of like technique and, and breathing and learning how to project and understand and control my voice, how to protect my voice. So I, I definitely don't regret um, any of the training that I did there. It just wasn't the right path for me in the end. But um, it was, you know, I kind of went back and forth for me. It was always kind of this push and pull between sports and music. Um, and I was a competitive snowboarder all through high school. And yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And that, you know, for a time that was really my big dream. I wanted to like go to the Olympics and, you know, and do that. And then my senior year of high school, I, I had a really bad fall. I broke my back, broke some ribs, snapped my collarbone, dislocated my shoulder, severe concussion. And so that obviously kind of, <laughs> kind of threw a wrench in my plans and also really like shook me up pretty good. I was, I was extremely lucky to walk, to be honest, after mm. that, that fall. And it was, it was a very, very difficult recovery going through that. I was really depressed. I mean, I was basically bedridden. I couldn't really do anything. And, um, during that depression, like I really kind of turned to music. That was, that was kind of my escape. It was like the one thing that I could do and still enjoy. You know, I started writing a little bit and, and even just like poetry or just writing down lyrics, stuff like that. And so when I came out on the other side of that recovery, my focus had kind of shifted to music. And so, you know, I had originally made a deal with my parents that if, you know, if I made it to the national development team that they were okay with me deferring college and university, obviously when the injury happened, that changed and I decided, okay, all right, I'm going to go study music. I guess I don't know what else I do. That's the only other thing I I love. 
So I ended up starting in the in the opera program. Quickly learned that wasn't for me. Switched into the jazz program. It was it was cool. It was better than you know what I was doing at the, in the opera program, but still not really for me. But during that time, and this is why I don't regret any of this because during that time I met other musicians and started playing in different bands, and that was how I got a taste of like touring and being on the road and writing songs and just learning how to be an entertainer. And that was when I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. So, you know, I, I, I can't, I have no regrets about the choices I made or the path that I took because it all led me to where I am now. And I think I learned a lot and had some great adventures, you know, in between. Sometimes it feels like I've lived several lives already. So I feel pretty grateful to, to have had that experience. Well, there's so much that you're saying that resonates with me and my story. I feel like I'm not a man that lives with regrets. I think everything has like, again, built up to the point that I'm, I'm at right now. And uh, yep. I'm, uh, I'm so grateful for all those things, even the mistakes, right? That has all led to where I'm at. Um, it's funny because as you're talking, I'm trying to think like, what would Megan Patrick, the opera singer have been? What would that trajectory have been if you had kind of stuck with that? But I'm glad you're, you're doing what you're doing. Uh, any <laughs> yeah, any chance know. you get on a snowboard still these days? I mean, if, if I had like access to it, there's not exactly a lot of snowboarding opportunities right. in Nashville. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I still, I still would go and ride. I actually did, um, after my first year, um, at McGill, I actually did go back and compete for another year after I, well, cause I was in a position where hmm. I really didn't like the program I was in. And like, also part of it for me, I think was just wanting to like face that fear. I mean, it was such a severe fall and it scared me so much that there was like part of me that was like, I just need to like go back and like get back on my board and do this, like just for myself. Otherwise it felt like, I don't know. It felt like quitting to me. It felt like I was quitting because I was scared. And so for me, you know, I went back for another year and competed. And at that point I was so much more focused on music. It was more just, it was kind of me leaving and like retiring on my own terms. It felt like, as opposed to like, Oh, I had this on your terms. Yeah. As opposed to being like, you know, I had this horrible injury and I just like gave up, you know? So it, I'm glad that I, I went and did that. I think it did a lot just for my, I love that my confidence and my sense of self and feeling like, okay, you, you faced the fear, you got back on your board, you competed again, you did it. But now you also know that like, this just isn't the path for you anymore. And so it felt, it felt like a good way to leave things. MFP, I think of resilience, I think of confidence, and I think of heart. And that's that's all you Love embody that. right now, Megan. I just Thank I'm you. so appreciative <laughs> of of you and your time and, and, and sharing this part of your story. And um, I think, you know, I, I'm so inspired by this half an hour conversation with you. I hope that the people out there <laughs> listening are as well. Meg, honestly, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm grateful for you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you out on the road sometime in the next little while. I would love that. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, all the best to you and Mitchell and, uh, and we'll see you down the road. All right. Sounds good, buddy. My next guest is Canadian singer, songwriter, and producer, Steve Bell, another dear friend and mentor of mine. Until next episode, thanks for listening and talk to you all in a few weeks. As I always say, it takes a village to run things here at Through the Fire. And I want to thank my village, executive producer, Sarah Burke, administrators, Lori Brown and Alan Grayeyes, Video and audio design by Chris Godry and his team at 44 Films. Feisty creative for their design work. Social media support by Johnson Design Company. And last but far from least, I want to thank our technical producers, Matt Kundle and Evan Serminski from the Sound Off Media Company. 
I look forward to sharing more great conversations just like this one on the next Through the Fire. You see the light. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.